From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. By and large, the Trump administration has made deregulation its hallmark. And in that regard, the Food and Drug Administration, on the issue of tobacco control, is the exception. The FDA this week suggested that it may ban flavoring in electronic cigarettes, warning of an epidemic in the schools. The agency has already proposed slashing the amount of nicotine in cigarettes to non-addictive levels. All this by using authority granted it by the Democratic Congress of 2009, the same Congress that passed Obamacare and the Dodd-Frank financial regulatory law. I'm joined today by Washington's leading advocate for greater tobacco controls, Matthew Myers, president of the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, who will evaluate the FDA's response, and later by CQ reporter Andrew Siddons, who is covering the issue. Welcome, Matthew. Thanks for having me. So, Matthew, these proposals we're seeing from the FDA to ban flavoring in e-cigarettes and to reduce nicotine levels could have been offered by the Obama administration, but they weren't. Are you surprised to see them coming from Donald Trump? I'm not surprised to see them coming from Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Um, Dr. Gottlieb, the FDA commissioner, shares a deep concern about both the health effects of cigarette smoking and the need to ensure that the introduction of electronic cigarettes don't introduce an entire new generation of kids to nicotine in long-term addiction. Dr. Gottlieb um, shares our goal of reducing the number of people who die from tobacco use and using the FDA's powers to do so. And that way, he's different than many other members of this administration. The critical question is what he actually ends up doing. He has made several proposals that are truly historic, reducing nicotine in cigarettes to minimally addictive levels. If he actually does that, it would be the most profound a change in public health, not just in the United States, but across the globe. Over um, a billion people smoke around the globe. If we eliminated cigarettes as a cause of death and disease, we would eliminate one of the major causes of death. The critical question is, what does he actually do? The proposal is far-reaching. It's visionary. How he implements it and whether he implements it in a timely fashion is the critical key. The other critical key is that he sees electronic cigarettes as a necessary alternative for smokers who can't or won't quit. The question is, can we get the right regulatory balance, making sure there is an alternative for people who can't quit and not addicting a whole new generation of young people to nicotine? Okay, let's, t- let's talk first about that proposal, and in- indeed it is just a proposal, to reduce nicotine levels in traditional cigarettes to non-addictive levels. This was something that Congress authorized the FDA to do. It gave the FDA the choice. It didn't require it in that 2009 law. So what's taken so long? I mean, it seems uh, like a no-brainer if you're a public health official. Well, a couple of things are really interesting. The first is, although this law was passed in 2009, it was passed with a true bipartisan majority. This was one of the few laws that was passed that time that had equal numbers of Democrats and Republicans supporting it. And that's because tobacco traditionally has been a bipartisan issue. It often isn't today. The second issue is, why did it take so long? Um, 
It took FDA a good number of years to gear up, build a new center, to begin to develop the science to demonstrate whether this was a good idea. What enabled Dr. Gottlieb to move forward is that there are now substantial scientific studies that show that if we reduce nicotine levels, smokers won't compensate. That means they won't smoke more. A very substantial proportion of them will quit, and it won't create a significant black market if we do it in a smart way. Now, you mentioned a couple issues, which I've been reading the comments that have come in on the FDA's proposal, the public comments, from the cigarette companies, and they are hammering the point that it will cause smokers to smoke more, that they, in order to get the nicotine fix that they desire, they will just smoke more cigarettes, and that it will create a black market. So are you expecting a war on this with the cigarette companies? I don't think there's any doubt there'll be a war on this. The cigarette companies have engaged in the most aggressive tactics over the years in order to preserve their ability to sell as many cigarettes to as many people anywhere in the world without caring about the health consequences. What's different this time, I think, is that we have an agency with the authority to take these steps. We have science that points in a very clear direction. And under those circumstances, it really comes down to a matter of political will. And that's an unknown. You mentioned political will, and, and you mentioned bipartisanship in Congress surrounding that 2009 law. But I remember in the late 1990s, there was a proposal to give the FDA this authority, and it failed. So there was a change in those interve that intervening decade. Would you say that if the cigarette companies go to Congress now and say, stop this, stop the FDA, what, the, what, what would you expect the reception they'll get? Well, we're concerned. Uh, the cigarette companies and their substantial donations have been successful in making this a more and more partisan issue. Um, that's really unfortunate because there should be nothing partisan about health prevention. Too often in recent years, we have seen Republican legislators defend the tobacco industry without regard to the health care costs. However, what we've got this time is something unique. We have a member of the Trump administration who is very methodically going through the science, laying out the case, and building public support. I can't say that I'm optimistic that it will happen, but I'm saying that he has started us down a path that I think will have long-term consequences. Switching to the subject of e-cigarettes, hasn't the, uh, the boat already left the dock on this? I hear that, and, and indeed, Scott Gottlieb, the FDA commissioner, is warning that this is already becoming an epidemic in our schools. There is no question that it has become an epidemic among young people. More young people use e-cigarettes than use cigarettes. And the recent introductions of products like Juul, the most recent e-cigarette, deliver very high levels of nicotine very rapidly to the adolescent brain. That not only increases the likelihood of addiction, um, nicotine itself is harmful to a developing brain. So we're very, very concerned. We don't have to face a long-term tragedy if, in fact, FDA acts and acts decisively. Dr. Gottlieb has rec recognized the problem. That's a very important first step. He has recognized that the uh, e-cigarette industry's use of flavors is one of the major causes for so much youth use. He has begun to recognize that e-cigarette companies have engaged in social media campaigns that have made it more attractive to it, and that online sales are a serious problem. 
Right now, he's just asked the e-cigarette companies to come up with a solution. I don't think that will work. It has never worked in the past when we've asked for voluntary action. So the critical question is going to be, what does he do next? And here's what the FDA commissioner said on PBS a couple days ago. Well, the bottom line is all options are on the table. And if the trends in use that we're seeing right now continue, um, we're going to have to take even more dramatic actions. We think right now we can step into this market with a combination of enforcement actions against the places that we know kids are getting access to these products, which includes retail establishments that are selling them without putting proper restrictions in place or, or without carding minors, as well as the online sites. But the other action we would take immediately is look at removing these flavored products from the market. If we don't think that those actions are sufficient to try to curtail the scope of use that we're now seeing among kids, um, we're willing to step into the market and take even more dramatic action. Time is of the essence here. The use is growing in the schools. And I think it's also important to note that the FDA has already banned flavoring in traditional cigarettes. But as far as e-cigarettes go, the FDA has been reluctant to act decisively and quickly because there's an argument out there that e-cigarettes are not as unhealthful as traditional cigarettes. There's a case argument out there that they do not cause cancer and that therefore they are a good smoking cessation tool for people who are hooked on traditional cigarettes. What's your what's your take on that? Well, you're right. FDA has been hesitant to act. And that hesitancy is the reason we're facing an epidemic today. Had FDA stepped in, we wouldn't be debating about whether or not e-cigarettes might help some people quit and whether e-cigarettes um, are a cause of an epidemic among kids. FDA has the authority to ensure that first, e-cigarette manufacturers submit evidence about their different products so we know which, if any of them, are actually helpful um, to smokers who want to quit. Today, we don't. And second, they have the authority to put constraints on how these products are marketed, the flavors that are in them, so that they have an ability to ensure that if e-cigarettes can help us reduce the number of cigarette smokers, we figure out which ones do it and under what circumstances, and we curtail the kind of marketing and the use of flavors that has turned e-cigarettes truly into the most serious public health problem we're facing with young kids today. So the e-cigarette makers may indeed be trying to get them in the hands of, of kids, but the FDA has banned their sale to, to kids. So how are they? How are children getting them? Well, l let's deal with the real world here. Um, banning the sale of a product to kids does not solve problems. If you make a product that's attractive to kids, that's cool and hip, and that's addictive, you can be sure young people will find a way to get it. Curtailing illegal sales to kids is a part of the solution, but frankly, it's a very small part of the solution. The major part of the solution is to prevent the kind of marketing that has turned this product into the coolest thing kids can do. It is to ensure that e-cigarette companies aren't allowed to put flavors in them that unduly appeal to kids and probably don't help adults quit. And it is to ensure that... Um, FDA tracks what's going on in real time so that if an e-cigarette manufacturer's products begin to be used by large numbers of kids, we have a way to stop it before it becomes too late. Now, we have an election coming up. We may have a new Congress in January. Is there something Congress could do here to help push FDA along? Well, I think there's several things. The first thing is Congress needs to keep the pressure on FDA to act and act decisively. Um, as I said, the failure of FDA to take regulatory action 
not only has resulted in an epidemic of the use of these products among kids, it means that smokers who want to quit, who want to know which, if any, of these e-cigarettes will help them quit, have not been provided that evidence. We don't know um, which e-cigarettes help, are helpful and which are harmful. We talk about e-cigarettes as if it's a product. It's not. It's a very broad category of product. The failure of FDA to put regulatory controls on mean that manufacturers haven't done the scientific research to tell us which products are actually helpful. They haven't done the scientific research to tell us which products appeal unduly to kids. If FDA stepped in, we wouldn't be facing a debate about is this better for adults or for kids. We could help both. Matthew Myers, president of the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, and Spotify. I'm Sean Zeller. We're talking about the FDA's moves to combat vaping and to regulate nicotine levels in cigarettes. And now I'm joined by Andrew Siddons, the CQ reporter who covers the FDA. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Sean. So, Andrew, we have these regulatory proposals at various phases of completion. How close are we to seeing some actual action? Well, until the other day, it seemed like we might not see FDA action uh, for a few more years. The application deadlines that e-cigarette manufacturers and the manufacturers of liquid nicotine, uh, the, especially flavored nicotine, they weren't going to have to submit their applications until around 2022. Because the law requires FDA approve new tobacco products. That's so right. they have to apply. Exactly. For now, products that were on the market before twenty uh, middle of 2016 can stay on the market pending their applications. But nobody was really starting to submit their applications yet, hoping that over that time, maybe the FDA would change its policies or the courts or Congress would intervene in some way. Uh, but as of the other day, uh, with Dr. Gottlieb's announcement on flavors, uh, it's possible that there could be action later this year or early next year. It depends on uh, whether the companies like Juul and others who are given the 60-day deadline to basically get their houses in order when it comes to youth use, whether their responses satisfy the FDA or not. Uh, and once we see that, we'll get a better idea of if the FDA decides to change its mind about the deadlines and, and say, you need to apply now um, and until we are comfortable with your products, the flavors are coming off the market. So they could do that um, without going through the traditional regulatory process, which is quite laborious, requiring a proposed rule and taking of comments and reconsideration, and it can take months or years. Right. I, I don't think it would be at the drop of a hat necessarily, but it wouldn't be the the same drawn out notice and comment process. Right now, what they're using what they call enforcement discretion to allow these things on the market as is, uh, and they can change change their mind on that. What about the proposal that they have made to reduce nicotine levels in traditional cigarettes? Um, they've gotten a ton of comments in response to that. It is going through the traditional regulatory process. Do we have any sense of a timeline on that? Not really. Uh, that's a, that's one that'll probably be a few years, uh, but it's a pressing issue for them, uh, and it's really going to 
you know, have a lot of import when it comes to what they ultimately decide for e-cigarettes as well. Because what they've stated as part of this nicotine reduction plan is that if we do reduce them to less addictive or non-addictive levels, people who are addicted to nicotine are going to need something else to fall back on. And they think that e-cigarettes would play an important role for adults who need something to transition to. Uh, but the flavors quagmire uh, of recent months is really making this a little more difficult for them. Yeah, and it's important to note that the thinking is that e-cigarettes are not as unhealthful as traditional cigarettes, right? I mean, is is that correct, and, and why so? The, so if you are a current smoker of combustible cigarettes, if you switch to e-cigarettes completely, that is better for your health. Um, the e-cigarettes don't E-cigarettes have nicotine, but they don't have tar and other harmful, you know, toxic constituents that combustible cigarettes do or the effect that you get from actually inhaling smoke from a, a burned product. But n nobody thinks that nicotine's completely benign. It's obviously addictive. I think there's an association with higher blood pressure. Um, and the long-term health data on the liquid nicotine used by e-cigarettes just isn't available to the extent that we have long-term health data on combustible cigarettes. So regarding cancer. Exactly. We, we could find down the road that it is a carcinogen. or It's possible. We but just right don't. now, we just don't know. Right. Okay. So you're working on a big feature story for CQ Magazine this month on the e-cigarette issue. Can you give us a little preview? I think that uh, Dr. Gottlieb probably <laughs> gave a, a pretty good preview of it. Uh, the idea that I was trying to explore was this tension between um, the harm reduction argument uh, and the potential it has to addict kids and how the agency is trying to navigate that. Um, and in an interview I had with Dr. Gottlieb, he actually kind of telegraphed a, a lot of this um, and suggested that they were really leaning toward the view that the risk of youth use because of the appeal of, of flavors and devices like jewels is really starting to outweigh the potential benefits it would have for adult smokers who might switch switch to that product. Yeah, I mean, it's really taken off in the schools. Gottlieb warned that it's becoming an epidemic. And this at the same time when uh, there's been a major public health victory, the use of combustible cigarettes has plummeted over the last generation among all people and, and among teens, correct? Right. It's down among adults. It's down among teens. Uh, E-cigarette... But uh, e-cigarette use among teens uh, is high and concerning. Um, it's not as popular among adults. And among adults who are using it, um, a lot of adults who use e-cigarettes are also continuing to use t uh, regular tobacco products. Now, what's your assessment of the state of play in Congress? They passed this 2009 law, but that was a very different Congress, a Democratic Congress, um, that gave the FDA power to regulate tobacco. Might this Congress step in and try to rein in the FDA? I don't think so. There's a few members of Congress who are pretty engaged on these issues on both sides of it. You've got members who tend to be Democrats who are really concerned about the youth use and the flavor issue. Dick Durbin and Lisa Murkowski. Uh, Murkowski is a Republican, of course, um, introduced legislation in August uh, that would uh, effectively ban flavors. It would make it a lot harder for flavors to get FDA approval. Uh, on the other hand, you have a couple of, of House members, um, Tom Cole, a Republican, and Sanford Bishop, a, a Democrat, 
who have been trying in recent years to make it a uh, little easier for e-cigarettes to win FDA approval. Uh, you know, they are they see the harm reduction argument you know, to it, uh, and they want to make sure that FDA regulations don't cripple the e-cigarette market for for adults. But neither side is really risen to the level of leadership where it's become it's not like a pressing congressional priority. That could change if if majorities flip to Democrats, uh, and maybe you could see some movement on flavor on flavors. Right, and it's it strikes me that whereas it was once thought that the tobacco industry, through its campaign contributions, had immense power over Congress, that the passage of the 2009 law and what you're just telling me now indicates that that's really not the case so much anymore. Well, it, that's true, but it's also true that these a lot of these e-cigarette companies aren't really the same as the big tobacco companies of old. Juul is a, a relatively new startup. It's just sort of getting set up in Washington uh, as, as a lobbying interest. Um, a lot of the liquid nicotine makers are really small companies. And to some extent, Big Tobacco has been on the sidelines of this a little bit because they kind of see it, whatever happens with this, they will continue to be fine. Thank you, Andrew, for joining us. Thank you, Sean. I am Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast apps, including iTunes, NPR One, and Spotify. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com.